0: hopefully you found your way now by, by this point in time i've given you opportunity to find micah chapter 1 and uh, go follow follow along with me as i begin reading in verse 8 and we'll get all the way through verse uh, 16 lord willing this morning micah uh, writes these words in verse 8 he says because of this i will weep and wail i will go about barefoot and naked i will howl like a jackal and mourn like an owl for Samaria's plague is incurable, it has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In beth Ophrah, roll in the dust. Pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shafur. Those who live in Zanon will not come out. Beth Ezel is in mourning. It no longer protects you. Those who live in Moroth writhe and pray in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, you harness your fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of, of daughter Zion began. For the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you will give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The the town of Akzib will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Moreshah. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vulture, for they will go from you into exile. Several years ago, a group of us from this church went caving. If you've been around Encounter Church for a length of time, you might remember uh, Ray and Pamela Rao years ago. And uh, if you remember Ray and Pamela Rao, you might be familiar with the fact that Ray enjoyed. Going down under into those caves. And one Saturday afternoon, he took a group of us from the church caving. And it's not the type of caving where you walk along a paved path, right? It's not the type of cave, uh, caving where you, like in Mammoth Cave, where, you, where a park ranger is leading the way and, and there's a lit trail for you. To follow, But this type of caving was the type of caving where you're crawling through the nooks and the, cr- and the crannies of a cave. You're pulling each other through tight squeezes. It was no place for someone who got claustrophobic. You're getting covered in cave dirt. We were ducking and scrunching around the corners. And all along the way, I can remember thinking to myself... Wow, it's really dark in this cave. And all along the way, I'm hoping that Ray knows how to get us out of this cave. When we're walking in darkness, a normal response that we have is to look for someone or something to help us through the darkness, to help us get out of the darkness. Right? When you are walking in darkness, you might often reach for a flashlight. You might pull out. Right, We have the convenience of our phones having flashlights on them. We take flashlights for granted anymore. And so we just we, we flip on a flashlight to help guide us through the darkness. Or maybe when we're walking in darkness, we listen to the voice of a friend who knows the way in which we should go. So we listen for their voice and we follow their instructions. Maybe if you're a child, I know our children are in here with us this morning. Maybe if you're a child, when you find yourself in darkness, you reach for the trusted hand of your parent to hold. Well, this morning we are continuing our study through the book of Micah. And this book is filled with judgment and hope, right? It's filled with darkness. I shared last week that the book itself really has a lot of doom in it. In fact, 80% of the book, uh, Micah is calling down judgment. But yet, even in the darkness of this book, and in the book's despair, what we'll see and what we'll learn is that there's a light At the end of the tunnel. That it's the light of God's revelation through Micah. That is going to expose even the darkness of our own lives. And that it's going to also point us to God's promises. It's going to point us to continue moving forward in the darkness. That there is one who knows the way through the darkness. Each of us probably At some point in our lives, we experience dark seasons of life. Even mentioning earlier, uh, the Lindner and the Livingston families experiencing a dark season of their lives. Some of us experience dark seasons and those seasons look different, but they're still dark. Maybe, Maybe you've walked through a season of depression and there's darkness there. Maybe you've experienced the loss of a job. There's darkness there. Maybe you have uncertainty even in your purpose of life. There's a darkness there. Maybe you have the pain of a wayward child. And that's been a long season of life for you. And and there's a darkness there. Maybe you long to be married. And it just seems like God is not answering that prayer. And there's there's a season of darkness there. Maybe you've experienced the pain of a divorce. That's a season of darkness. Or maybe, as we've noted, the death of a loved one. Right? Our natural response to darkness is to look for someone or something to guide us through it. Remember, I I opened up saying, Boy, I sure hope Ray knows his way out of this dark cave. Because if if he doesn't, I'm toast. (laughs) We're not getting out. And that's our natural response, is that when we find ourselves in darkness, is is we're looking for someone or something to guide us through it. And this morning, Micah introduces us to an often forgotten guide when we find ourselves in a dark time. And it's a guide that, that... that we don't practice very often either, and it's the practice of lament. Lament. Right. It's it's safe to say that often when we are faced with a long-standing sorrow, with pain or struggles, oftentimes what we do is we either deny what is happening, claiming everything is fine, or maybe we fall into despair and we convince ourselves that we can't do this any longer. Micah, here in the second half of chapter 1, shows us that during the season of darkness, during this time of great despair for the people of Judah, Micah's response is to lament. You see, lament is how you live between the reality of a hard life and yet the desire to trust in God's goodness. Right? Lament bridges that gap between what once was and what will be. Lament helps you bridge that gap over what is right now, the reality of the hardship, the reality of the darkness. Lament provides a way for us to move through darkness with a sense, with the security, let me say that, with the security of hope helping us to navigate our way through the difficulties that God has allowed us to experience. Now, specifically to our study this morning, the, prof, the prophet Micah is declaring God's coming judgment. I've already shared, and you'll hear it for the next several number of weeks, right? This is a book. There, there's a lot of despair, a lot of doom in this. 80% of it is Micah calling down God's judgment on people. And so specifically, right, what Micah is doing is... And in, in this particular lament is he's lamenting the coming judgment, right? The, the judgment of God that, that is coming to the people of Judah because of their sin. Ultimately, the big idea for our, our, our sermon this morning is this, all right? This is, this is really kind of the overarching idea, is that lament guides us through sin's darkness and leads us to God's promises, We're going to see in these verses how Micah laments, how he weeps and he wails. And he does so, though, as a means of lamenting. But it's not a hopeless cry. Instead, it's a hope-filled cry. Now, I shared with you last week that I would have a map for you, and, and here's that map. I'm not sure how well you can see it. Uh, but I I mentioned how the time period in which we're dealing with is there in, in the 700s BC. And you might recall that uh, in 921 BC, the, the the kingdom of Israel was united. But then, but then shortly after Solomon's death, the kingdom of the kingdom became divided, and you had two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom that was known as Israel, and the capital of Israel was Samaria. So whenever you hear Samaria mentioned in Micah's prophecy here, you know that he's speaking directly to the northern kingdom. And then the southern kingdom was the kingdom of Judah. With the capital being there in Jerusalem. So as he speaks to Jerusalem in our text this morning, he refers to the gates of Jerusalem. He's now speaking to that southern kingdom. And so this map, this is helpful for you to understand and to to keep this in mind. It was the northern kingdom that, that was taken, that was carried off into exile by the Assyrian army. And so this book this prophecy that Micah is giving to us that we're walking through is the timing of it is is right before and into the Assyrians coming and carrying off the northern kingdom into exile and then about 125 years later, the Babylonians, they come and carry off the, the southern kingdom into exile. So that helps provide us a little bit of context. And so the, the, really the context, right? These are very dark days for both the northern kingdom, very dark days for them, and dark days for the southern kingdom, as well as he's prophesying God's judgment that he's prophesying to them that God's judgment is coming, it's on the march, it's, it's on the move, and it's because of their sin and their idolatry. And so again, the, the big idea for this morning is that lament guides us through sin's darkness and leads us to God's promises. There we began last week, we learned about, about their sin, about their idolatry, and now as we look, turn our attention there to verse 8... Notice how Micah begins this verse 8, and he begins our study this morning. He says, because of this, I will weep and wail. What's he speaking about? Because of what? Because of their sin. Because of the way in which their transgressions. Because how they've turned to idol worship. Micah says, because of this, I will weep and I will wail. You know, there's a lot of different responses that we tend to have toward sin, isn't there? Especially someone else's sin. Um, Sometimes we point fingers at their sin. Sometimes we say things like, whew, I'm glad it's you and, and I'm glad it's not me. But specifically, what Micah's response is, is he laments. Is he is filled with sorrow because of the sin of the people. And this first point that we uncovered this morning is that a lament acknowledges the destruction that sin brings. Now this morning, understand I'm, I'm not giving you necessarily a, a how-to on lamenting. If you are interested in, in just kind of the process of lamenting, I, I do commend to you a book titled Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy by, by Mark Frogop, uh, a helpful resource for you uh, or for uh, for someone that you might know who might be wor- walking through a dark season of life. And if, if today, if, you're the, if, if you need this, you're welcome to, to grab this book on your way out and you can have it. And so this morning, it's not necessarily, a am not giving you three steps on how to lament, but instead we're making observations regarding Micah's the way in which he responded to their sin in lament. And this first one is, is that lament acknowledges the destruction that sin brings. He's responding to the sin of the people. We see there in verse 8, he says, because of this, I will weep and wail. He says, I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. We're reminded there at the Last Sunday, as we, as we learned about the, the coming destruction of Samaria, even if you peek back at verses 6 and 7, right? what's he lamenting over? He's lamenting over the coming judgment, the destruction of Samaria. And remind ourselves here, look, look there at verses 6 and 7, how, how he describes this coming, this coming judgment. He says that God is speaking through the mouthpiece of Micah, and these are the words, Therefore I will make Samaria, the northern kingdom, therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All of her idols will be broken to pieces. All of her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all of her images. Why? Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. As the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. What Micah is describing is divine judgment that's detailed in these verses Right? Imagine the large metropolitan areas of our city destroyed. Imagine that, right? We've, we've seen movies where large metropolitan areas are, are destroyed, annihilated. Right? Imagine downtown Louisville, all the bricks and the beams filling up the Ohio River. The streets, the parking garages, the office buildings, even the KFC Yum Center. All of it removed And not just removed, but the ground actually returned to farmland, fields and pasture, vineyards and orchard. This is the type of destruction that is being prophesied for the city of Samaria. And in verse 8, Micah records his response. And it is that response of lament. He says, because of this, I will weep and wail. It's very easy for us to, to read this description And to miss the very real pain that Micah feels at the coming destruction that he is called to prophesy. Verse 8 gives us a brief glimpse into Micah's heart. His response to the coming destruction is so strong that that he declares three times that he will lament. He says, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and I'll mourn like an owl. Right, the words that Micah uses to describe the way he laments is a very public response. Sometimes when we're filled with sorrow and we're overcome with sadness, our tendency is to try to stuff our feelings. We try to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We try to hide ourselves away. We try to hide away the true emotions of our hearts. But Micah's response his lament is far from private. Rather than hiding away, it actually he exposes himself. Rather than holding back, he cries out. Right? This is the image of a man who is mourning and sorrowful. His grief at the sin of the people and the devastating judgment that God declared is deep, and Micah is the prophet who's given the task to warn them of this destruction that's coming. There's two interesting references here to the vocal cries of, of what it will sound out, right? It, it, maybe your Bible might say jackals and owls. Some scriptures, some translations might say ostriches. How many of, how many of your translations say ostriches? Yeah, there you go. So, so there might be some question on whether, whether it's like a desert owl or an ostrich, right? Jackals and owls, They owls and these ostriches, they have verbal cries that are rather intense, I've never heard an ostrich scream. (laughs) I've I've heard an owl hoot, but I've never heard an ostrich scream. I have heard coyotes howl, right? How many of you are familiar with a pack of coyotes howling? I think maybe that for us within our context and where we live, that's probably a, a helpful reference that that his lament is verbal and that he howls like the jackals or he's howling like the coyotes. And Micah did not just announce judgment, right? In, in, verse, in the verses preceding this, he's not just announcing judgment and then going on with his day. But Micah actually, he's broken over their sin and its devastating effects I think back to the sermon series on Jonah, you remember how Jonah there in Chapter Four, how he responded right after after calling down right after warning warning Nineveh and saying god is his judgment is coming repent god 's judgment is coming what did what did Jonah do? He, he takes his lawn chair, goes up on the side of a mountain, pops some popcorn, maybe gets some Reese's Pieces, and he's thinking, I'm, I'm hoping that God will change his mind, that God will actually judge these people, right? It's almost as if he says, I want to be an onlooker to God's judgment. But what we see, Micah's heart is different here, isn't it? Micah instead takes on himself the sorrow of the people. And keep in mind, he is speaking this judgment at this point in time to the northern kingdom. He's speaking to Samaria. Micah. Is from the southern kingdom. And here. He's looking to the northern kingdom. And he's lamenting. He's lamenting not. Over his sin at this point. But the sin of others. He's lamenting the destruction. Of a group of people. Who had turned their back on the Lord. And his covenant with. With God, with them, how do you respond? Church, how do you respond when others experience the consequences of their sin? How do you respond when others experience God's discipline or His judgment? It might be true that for some of us, our hearts have a tendency to be hard Toward those who are experiencing the consequences of their sin. Have you ever been tempted to rejoice at another person's discipline? Have you ever been tempted to maybe inside crack a little bit of a smile. Because someone is finally getting what they deserve. Right, Rather than lamenting over the pain and the heartache that another person has. We think to ourselves... Well, it's about time they had it coming to them anyway. But Micah laments. He's sorrowful because he knows the destruction that sin brings in the life of a person. Micah's lament shows us the heart of Jesus, doesn't it? All right, keep in mind, again, as I've mentioned, that the people of Samaria were not his own people. Micah was from the southern kingdom, Judah. Micah could have easily wagged his finger at the people up north and said, see, I told you so. But instead, he lamented over their destruction. This is the heart of Jesus. And this should be our hearts as well. Micah's heart, more importantly, Jesus' heart should be displayed through us. Do you mourn and lament over the sinful state of the world in which we live? Do you lament the judgment that is in store for those who refuse to trust in Jesus? Do you, are you saddened when others experience the painful consequences of their sin and their disobedience? Does your heart break? For a culture that continues to run down a, re- a rebellious path, heading straightway to God's wrath that is being stored up for them? We should be like Micah and join with him in lamenting and being filled with sorrow. We should r- regularly acknowledge that sin destroys and it should break our hearts. Next, we see that Micah is going to lament and acknowledge the way that sin spreads. That's what lament does. It, it acknowledges his lament here in this particular situation, as he's lamenting the darkness of sin. He laments that it brings that sin brings destruction, and now he his lament acknowledges the way that sin spreads. In verses 9 through 15. Go ahead and look there. It says, we discover, how, we discover how Micah's lament acknowledges sin's spread. It provides us with the picture of a gangrene that spreads throughout the human body. Right? We, we might liken it to the spread of a communicable virus or disease that we've all experienced in the last couple of years. Something that quickly spreads from one person to the, the next, And what Micah is lamenting here, Micah's lament is tracking for us the destructive path of Samaria's sin that that is there in the northern kingdom that has now made inroads into the southern kingdom, into the hearts of the people of Judah, infiltrating even those who are gathered at the city gates of Jerusalem. Look there at verse 9 with me. Micah writes, he says, For Samaria's plague is incurable it has spread to Juna to Judah it has reached the very gate of my people even to Jerusalem itself the spread of sin is hard to contain sin indeed has a contagious effect doesn't it we don't have time to go there, but I encourage you in your rights, write down, or in your notes, write down 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17 gives us the historical play-by-play of what is taking place as here that that Micah is speaking to, into, all right, so uh, 2 Kings, again, 17, it tells us about the sin of Samaria and their idolatry and then it brings us to a point describing their destruction and then in verse 19 of 2 Kings chapter 17 the author, the chronicler who's who's writing this, recording this for us records not only Samaria's sin but it records these verses speaking about now Judah where it says that even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices, Israel, the northern kingdom, they followed the practices that Israel had introduced to them. See, 2 Kings 17 describes for us the sin of idolatry that spread throughout the northern kingdom of Israel. But not only did that sin spread throughout the northern kingdom, but the spread of sin made its way through the people of the southern kingdom. In their willingness to compromise what they knew to be true. You see the people of the southern kingdom. They tolerated sin. They compromised and they tolerated the corruption. They tolerated the sexual promiscuity. They tolerated the injustice and the greed. They tolerated the oppression of the poor and the vulnerable, the idolatry. What did, How did the sin of Samaria, that incurable plague, how did it creep into the southern kingdom? Through compromise. Through a people who simply shrugged their shoulders at sin and responded, eh, it could be a lot worse. Or the compromise of just a little bit won't hurt me. How does sin spread? Sin spreads through one small compromise at a time. See, one compromise leads to another compromise. Which leads to another compromise, which eventually leads us to completely giving up our spiritual convictions. Lament here in these verses, Micah is acknowledging there in verse 9. He acknowledges he says, the plague, this incurable plague has spread to Judah. How did it how did it spread to, to Judah? How did it spread to even the gates of Jerusalem, that holy city? How did it get that far? 2 Kings 17 says, because the people compromised. It's a helpful reflection for us to ask ourselves, what areas of my life am I making compromises to sin? What areas am I allowing sin to just spread little by little? What areas of my life are my compromises eating away at the convictions of God's word how is the gangrene of sin eating away even at your own heart one small bite at a time i wonder are we compromising the priority of pursuing holiness are we compromising by having a lazy attitude toward studying god's word Are we compromising by trusting in the things of this world rather than God's promises? Have we made compromises in what we allow to influence our hearts and our minds? Are we compromising in our relationships with others? Are we compromising in our entertainment choices? Are we compromising in how we invest our time? Are we compromising by being more concerned about what people think than by what God thinks. How does sin spread? How does the cancer overtake a person? Just one small compromise at a time. So then in verses 10 through 15, Micah now provides us a list of the towns, of the towns of Judah. Okay, so so he speaks this this incurable plague has has, has taken over Samaria, it's spread to Judah, and now he lists out a, a list of, of lots of town names that are hard to pronounce. But he 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 talks what he's he's helping us to see how this sin, this idolatry, has spread throughout the region of Judah. And, and what he does is he refers to them in a pun like way. He takes the name of the city and he creates some sort of pun uh, to, to call out the coming destruction. It would be like if, if uh, Micah was applying this to our area, our, our region, it would be like Micah saying, all right, if let's say we were talking about Crestwood. Okay, Crestwood, Kentucky, Kentucky, he would say that the fire is already lit in Crestwood. Right? He, he's playing on those words. Or it might be, prepare for a long journey in Hikes Point. Now, y'all, y'all, you like these? I thought about these for a little bit. This took a little effort on my part, right? Or, or what about this? The people of Mount Washington are in a deep valley. See, that's what he's doing. So as you read these, Again, we don't, we don't have time this morning to go through through all nine or ten of these, of these town names, but he's, he's giving us a play on words. I'll just give you a couple, right? There in, in verse 11, he talks about Shafur. That, that town name means beauty town. And he talks about how it will no longer be attractive, but will be stripped and shamed because of its sin. Or in Beth Ezel, we see that again there later in verse 11. Beth Ezel means the house of support. But he talks about how it will be in mourning. It no longer protects you. It, he, he refers to how this house of support no longer has any support. And it's no longer able to protect you. Because God is going to take away the foundations and the support. Because the house is going to fall in judgment. And so that's what he's doing. He's going town by town. These are towns uh, almost within a sight distance of where he's at. And he is saying these towns have been overrun by sin. And he's lamenting that. You see the list of towns gives us a sobering diagnosis of just how far the cancer of sin has spread into Judah. And in his lament Micah acknowledges the invasiveness of sin. Church. Do we take seriously the spread of sin? Do we remind ourselves that God has called us to be a people who are holy, who are separate from the world, who are different? And yes, that will mean that the world will make fun of you. Yes, that will mean that the world will persecute you. They will talk about you behind your back and say nasty things about you. We're not called to compromise our convictions. We're called to be different and to hold firm to what we know to be true. And Micah laments how sin spreads so easily. And then the final lament here is that lament acknowledges the influence of sin on future generations. Verse 16. Micah says, Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bold as the vulture For they will go from you into exile. Now I understand that for some of us. The bald head looks good on us. Can I get a witness Richard? Thank you Richard. But in this day and age shaving one's head was a public witness of deep mourning. It was a sign of disgrace and misery. What prompted Micah's instruction to lament to the, to the people. He's calling them. He's calling all of them. He's speaking now specifically to the southern kingdom of Judah. He's calling them to, to shave their heads. To grieve. Why should they grieve? Because the children in whom you delight... Right? The, those cute and cuddly children that bring us all types of joy. Those cute and cuddly t- children. Uh, those, all those, those sweet videos and those great cute little pictures that we upload to social media. What he is saying is that those children in which you delight because you've chosen co- to compromise your sin. You've, you are paving the way for their exile. This prophecy takes a heart-wrenching turn in this one verse as Micah moves us from the delight of children to great darkness. And why? Because the sin of the parents are bringing judgment on their children. Thinking this through, from a southern kingdom standpoint, the children are a country's future. But how can the country have a future if the children are deported into exile? We're reminded the practice of lament, the practice of, being, of, of, of having sorrow and mourning over our sin should remind us of these truths, that each generation has the responsibility not to compromise the faith, but as Jude tells us in Jude chapter, th- uh, chapter 1, it's only one chapter, in Jude verse 3, Jude says to contend for the faith. Here, here the, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are caught and compromised. Jude says, no, don't compromise, contend that word contend for the faith, faith is a, it's, a, it's a description of an athlete who takes a position on a hilltop and defends it to the death. Jude uses the word contend in this way to remind us that as followers of Jesus, we should not compromise for the sake of sin, but also for the sake of the future generations. Because a willingness to compromise in the faith is paving the road for the child's future exile. And Micah says, this is reason to lament, to shave one's head in sorrow. Church, um, Are we saddened by the faithless generations of our children? Do, do we think about this? That when we make compromises, when, when we follow the call of, of, of temporary pleasure, and when we, when, we call, when we follow the call of sin... Right? That, that wooing of sin. Do we think to ourselves that when I make this compromise, my children are going to see it? Do you mourn over your grandchildren who are growing up in a world that lacks any sense of moral compass? As a church, how are we participating in a spiritual battle through prayer and fasting for the, for the souls of our children? As parents and, grand, and grandparents, as, as adults whom our, our youth look up to, are we displaying lives of faithfulness to God? Are we pursuing holiness in such a way that our youngsters here at the church could look up to your life, and say, that's an example of holiness that I want to follow. It's hard. Micah's heart is broken here. He's lamenting. And that's his response, and that's, that's a right response for us that lament guides us through sin's darkness. But I also have here that it leads us to God's promises. This might seem like an unlikely way to, to see God's promises, but we're going to see it next week, even in, in, a, in a shinier way than this morning. But look there in verse 12. At the end of verse 12, Micah helps us to see, again, underneath lament is hope, okay? Behind lament is, is, the, is a, there's, there's a hope that's driving his lament. Because there at the end of verse 12, Micah acknowledges that God is still in control of this situation, Because he actually says the judgment is coming from God. This is not just a haphazard judgment, but that God is still sovereign over this judgment. And then through this lament, he's going to take us there to the the end of chapter two is where we'll get to the end of chapter two next week. And and here's what he says. He says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. God is speaking. I will surely bring together the remnant of, Of Israel, because in the midst of all of this judgment that's taking place, there is a certainty that God is still in control of it and that God will redeem it all by reclaiming that remnant that He's holding on to. Again, right now in this sermon series, we're still at the back of the cave. We're still at the back of the cave, right? You might be saying, Michael, I'm I'm not really leaving these services with a lot of hope. Well, it's just, well, come back next week. Because there is a hope. There is a promise. And when we lament and we acknowledge that, right, we're still crying out to God, Because we still believe he hears us. It's when we stop lamenting. It's when we stop crying out to God. That we've given up hope. And so in this series. Understand there's a lot of darkness. But there is light coming at the end of the tunnel. And so while we walk through this dark tunnel. We're filled with sorrow. Ultimately, as a church. um, We see how God turns sorrow. Into joy. Through the cross. Even as we lament. Even as we are filled with sorrow, because we have a firm conviction that God is still sovereign, that God is in control, we believe that through it all, God will lead us to that point of joy. And the cross shows us how sorrow is turned to joy how the disciples sorrow on that friday their despair their darkness that on the third day it is turned to joy and so each week as we walk through this dark tunnel as you walk through a dark season of life life right now maybe we remind ourselves that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe I can even say that the light at the end of the tunnel stepped into into the tunnel for us. And that Jesus took on himself the judgment that each and every one of us deserve. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. Bearing its shame so that he might replace that darkness with joy and with light.